me get all my ducks in a row up here. <laughs> and there is something I forgot. There, how's that? Turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Very nice passage of Scripture. By the way, that first song was sung this morning, Oh, How He Loves You and Me, was I used to go to an inner faith Bible study in Little Rock, and I've heard probably 400 men sing that at one time. With all the bass that comes out of that, it's really, really good. And that was the what they opened with every every night. Okay, Ephesians. Oh, I should again add uh, Happy Father's Day. <laughs> I had a really nice Father's Day sermon picked out, and I last minute I read through it and realized it was for a lot younger group than this. So we're going with something else this morning. We're going with Ephesians chapter 2. And I think you'll like this passage. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and made us alive to get with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in the ages to come, he might show exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now verse 1 speaks of those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. As a small boy, I had the occasion to have to consider, now that was probably in the 1940s. <laughs> That's a ways back. But as a small boy, I had occasion to visit Eldorado, Arkansas, and there was an oil boom there at one time. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but as I walked through those fields and woods out there, I would encounter a field with no grass, shrubs, or trees. The earth was permeated with crude oil. It smelled bad, too. Nothing would grow, and the trees in a nearby watershed were standing stark white, 
no bark, stone dead, not a bird or not a squirrel or a living thing. A large, bleak, lifeless area where everything had been killed by crude oil and salt water from the nearby oil wells. I think at that time there's no such thing as nobody trying to hold their feet to the fire or to make them do right, and they just dumped that stuff wherever they wanted to. And again, I, I, it was per, over 70 years ago, I'm sure, and I suppose those lifeless and smelly areas and dead areas are still there. And this is a word picture of what the human life is like without Christ. Dead, lifeless, and smelly, if you will. So this morning, first of all, our first point is, is life without Christ, verses 1 through 3. And men walk about according to the course of this world, verse 2. This is Paul's way of saying that men live by the wisdom and standards of this world or by their own sorry standards or by what they choose to be correct at the moment. And those standards are as changeable as the wind. Nothing constant, no moral compass, nothing right. Different from moment to moment. This is a life of unhappiness and death for the unsaved man is physically alive but spiritually dead. The question is, how can a man be living yet dead? And the answer is in the definition of death. Death, necros in Greek, is a separation, not extinction, not annihilation, not inactivity, not non-existent. One commentator wrote, death is the separation of a person from the purpose for which God intended Man was created to know God, to fellowship with God, to worship and serve God. But unsaved and unconverted man does not do it. He will not do it. He's like a, a rebellious donkey that has uh, sat down under the load. He will not be pulled or pushed in the direction that God wishes for him to go. The direction he should go for his own good. It's the best way and the only way of salvation. The unconverted man has his own ideas of who and what is God. To him, God is a full belly, a big house, a new car, a large bank account. Oh, he would worship God if God would allow him to live as he wished. But God has his own standards certainly does. God is just and holy and righteous and he calls us to live as he lives. The point is unsaved man has little if anything to, to do with God. He's separated and dead to God and in many cases wants nothing to do with him. The Bible speaks of three deaths, physical death, 
That is the separations of man's spirits from his body. We know about physical death when the spirit is separated from the body. For us, it's a time of parting, a time of sorrow, and a time for a funeral, and a time for a burial. Second, we have spiritual death. This is the separation of a man from God when he is physically alive. Those who are without Jesus Christ are spiritually dead. He's physically alive, but he has rejected, rebelled against, and maybe even cursed God. He may be religious, worshiping Allah, Buddha, or some other false god. And there are a lot of those people around, folks. And I heard one person say that since we wouldn't send missionaries to them, that God has sent them to us. Sometimes they can be a real problem. That religion is very, Islam is really false. Again, he may worship a God, this unsaved man be worshiping a God of his own thoughts and ideas. This person who lives for sin, self, pleasure, wealth, and is spiritually dead. Anyone who has not come to Jesus Christ for salvation is spiritually dead. There's only one way to God, not many. There's not many gods, just one. And the second death we have is eternal death. This is the separation of man from God's presence forever. Again, this is called the second death. This is the result of being physically alive and yet spiritually dead and persisting in that condition until one dies physically. What a terrible time it would be after that. Folks, nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody, if they knew about it. And uh, someone once said, told another Christian that if you really believe the things that you're telling me, you'd be shouting it from the rooftops. We should be. This, the Bible has this to say about eternal death. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderous, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But you know what? God has made a way of escape. He has. I want you to know if you go to this terrible place, it will be by your own choice. Because you would not come to Jesus Christ in faith and trust. Because you chose to follow self, Satan, instead of Christ. In verse 1 through 3, we find life without Christ. A life of doom and gloom. A life of sin, death, and hell. In verses 1 through 4 through 7, we find a life with Christ. In this first 
three verses of the third chapter of Ephesians. All is lost, man is undone, separated from God on his way to hell. Then we come to verse 4, and a wonderful, wonderful little word, but. But God is rich in mercy. But God has intervened in the destiny of man. But God has intervened in the doom and the death and the judgment of verses 1 through 3. Man is made alive with Christ. Notice verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Years ago, when I was uh, a young man in, in the Army, I had to go to Korea. And my brother was stationed at Fort Huachuca, which is in the middle of the Arizona desert. And believe it or not, he lived at Tombstone, Arizona. <laughs> and I stopped by and visited him on my way through. And he and I made a trip in the desert and the Arizona desert was arid and dry and nothing alive or green anywhere. It was just a dull, hot, seemingly lifeless landscape. And then all of a sudden, everything became green, lush, alive, and growing with fields of vegetables and grain. The desert was made alive, blooming and growing by water from deep wells. In like manner, Jesus Christ has made the lost sinner alive and growing. When he, the sinner, comes to and drinks from the wells of salvation, the lost soul that was minute before was dry and desolate and barren and lifeless becomes vibrant, alive, and a fit habitation for the Holy Spirit to whom God sends it. Why has God quickened or made alive Christians? Because he's not like men, even though we might like to think so. His ways are higher and better and more holy than our ways. Men are sinful and evil, but God is sinless, loving, merciful and kind God is full of mercy he has seen our need of mercy he has seen our need of salvation out of his loving nature flowed pity compassion and kindness and being able to meet our need he sent his son God is love his love is selfless and sacrificial. His love is of the mind, the reason, and the will, as well as the heart. He loves those who do not deserve to be loved. He even loved those who are unworthy of his love and be glad, be 
because it's us. His love is such that he loves even his enemies. And again, be glad because it was us. When did God make us alive in him? When we were dead in our trespasses and sins. When we were his enemies. When we turned and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the third point this morning is the work of God's mercy. God had a problem. He loved man and he wanted to save man, but man had already sinned. Man had already lost his perfection and perfection, and only perfection could come before God, before his presence. There was only one hope. If one man could live a perfect and ideal and sinless life, he could stand for and cover all who would trust in him. And this is what Jesus did. He came to earth. He lived that perfect, sinless life. Never broke the law. Never went against God's will. He secured perfect righteousness. He was the ideal and the perfect man. And he was also the ideal and perfect sacrifice for the souls of men. And this is what Jesus did. Being perfect, righteous, and sinless, he died in our place. He sacrificed himself. So he didn't have to go to the cross, but he did. When anyone turns from sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ, God has counts that faith as righteousness, quickens us, and makes us alive. Christ. The work of God's mercy is to show believers the riches of his grace throughout the ages to come. Now, I was not saved as a young man after many years of sin. I am glad this morning that God loved the unlovable. That was me. And you. I'm glad he reached out to me in my trespasses and sin and brought conviction, knowledge of sin, knowledge of death and hell, and knowledge of salvation. And that's what it does. It brings conviction upon our lives. And that conviction doesn't always come when we want it to. It comes when God sends it. So if there's anyone here this morning in the conviction, now is the time to say so. Now is the time to come to the Lord and be saved. I'm glad that the Lord has made, has made me alive together with Christ. Glad that I have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we just bow before you and humbly ask forgiveness of our sins, not only for us, but the sins of our nation. We pray, Lord, that we will uh, grow here in this little church. 
that uh, we'll see people saved in, in this place, lives changed. And Lord, we just pray for a revival and a great awakening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.